Hello and welcome to Walk-Ins Welcome. I'm Michael Russell. I'm Gary Okazaki. Hi. We are uh, here above my garage and we're about to break down our year-end episode. We're going to break down some of our favorite meals of the year, some of the best new restaurants of the year, and some of our favorite dishes of 2018 as well. We're also going to talk about what we're going to be up to for New Year's and at the and we're going to chat just a little bit about the Premier League, what's been going on in the Premier League. So let's start off with you, Gary. Where in the world has Gary Okazaki been? I just got back from Barcelona for a week. I've been there a week, and getting back was just really a headache. I had to take three different flights to get back from Barcelona, so I spent like 24 hours on the road. The food was... Much, much better than I had anticipated or expected. The high, I, w- I did the super high-end um, Michelin-starred experiences, and I did the Pinchos Tapas experiences, too, and visited four of the best 100 bars in the world um, in addition to eating. And the high-end, the high-end food is amongst the best in the world, right up there with Paris. So, you know, going to Disfrutar and... Cucina, Hermanos Torres, and Lasarte, and Hoya Santo, and Moments. All of them have at least, um, well, four of them have at least two Michelin stars. Well, Hoya Santo has a Michelin star. That was Mexican food. All of it was just super elevated, super sophisticated, super creative. So Barcelona was just an absolute blast. Uh, how many of those restaurants are Albert Adria restaurants? Uh, Hoya Santa uh, is an Albert Adria Albari Albari restaurant and the main chef there is Paco Mendez. But I did go to one other Adria restaurant, that was Pacta. I couldn't get into Enigma or Tickets. So I did want to try to get go to those two restaurants, but Did you try to drop by at Tickets? When I was there yeah, I, I remember you, people you just kind it? of like hanging out at the bar drinking yeah. sparkling rose and it seemed pretty casual. Well, I think they were closed like most of the, like some of the days I'd been there they were closed and I was going to go try to go during the lunch hour I think they're only open for lunch one day a week I was going to try that but that didn't work out it was just kind of a kind of a mess but that's okay I I was pretty pretty much booked up each and every day with food and drink well it sounds like a lot of fun uh, you've also been to uh Vegas and San Francisco since we Bay Area. Yeah, Bay Area, Bay Area and, and, and Las Vegas. And you know, going to Manresa is always something I look forward to. I go twice a year. I've gone twice a year for eight eight years. Eight, and that's your, years. like your favorite restaurant in the world, right? It is my favorite Why? restaurant. It's, it's because when I go there it feels like it's my long lost home. If when you walk in, it looks like it almost looks like a home. And David David Kinch and his staff always treat me like family and um it's just something i look forward to i know i know them all um it's always a pleasure to go back to the kitchen and see whoever the cdc is right now it's nick romero and the pastry chef the new pastry chef is courtney Wilde. she's been there for a while courtney wilde's been there for a while but um uh the the previous pastry chef left and courtney moved up was promoted so nice seeing her and just jim ralston Wine director there, he's a master psalm. He, you know, I'm not much of a wine drinker, but <laughs> it's the only it's the only place where I do wine pairings. It's the only places where I've done wine pairings outside of Portland is at Manresa. I've done it a couple of times, but other than that, I just never do wine pairings. Just never. What do you drink? I do. Um, I just drink drink a glass here or there. Mm-hmm. I will do non-alcoholic pairings. 
uh, Central's non-alcoholic pairings this year were absolutely mind-blowing. Uh, Manresa's, I do Manresa's um, non-alcoholic, uh, non-alcoholic pairings most of the time, and they tend to be uh, very, very creative, too, just using unusual ingredients. So you brought a list with you, I see, of it looks like your favorite new restaurants in the world. Yes, new restaurants. 2018. Do you want to give us your, let's say, top 10? Sure. I actually have a... <laughs> this is cheating, as I do as I do many times. Uh, I have a tie for number 10. <laughs> Three-way tie. <laughs> Pacific Standard Time, Chicago. That's Erling Wu Bauer's Ode to California Cuisine. Then there's Cora Pearl from London. Uh, the people who uh, opened Cora Pearl previously opened Kitty Fisher, which was one of the hottest restaurants in the world for six months to a year. It was impossible to get in. And pe- like prime ministers would go, actresses and actresses, actors and actresses from other world would go. Um, so I love I love Cora Pearl. Um, number 10, Canard, Portland, Oregon, Gabriel Rucker's um, restaurant that has been named Restaurant of the Year by everyone in Portland, including you, Michael. That's Rightfully right. so, rightfully so. Number nine is Brat from London and that's a Basque open fire grill restaurant run by Tomas Perry um, number nine eight is Koya from Lima Peru that's uh, Pia Leon's um, new restaurant she's married to Virgilio Martinez who um, who owns and operates Central in Lima Peru and we number talked s- about that at one of our, yeah. in one of our first episodes yes number seven is a restaurant that I just visited in San Francisco. And it was named the number one new restaurant in America by Jeff Gordonier. Uh He's Esquire, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it Angler. Gordinier, from, but it's yeah, just counting. I'm glad you, because I can't pronounce any name. Just, you know that. <laughs> Anyone who listens to these podcasts know I, Sorry, Jeff. Yeah. Um, is um, Angler from Joshua Skeens. And uh, it reminded me very much of eating at Saison, but it's a la carte. And the prices are much more reasonable. You don't spend, you know, two hundred ninety-eight dollars or three hundred ninety-eight dollars. And the idea there is very local seafood. Yep. Yeah, and not just seafood. There's antelope tartare. Joshua loves to hunt, and so you know, so that's you know, he loves to serve game. Is he allowed to serve? Well, I'm sure uh, he's. Well, it's a longer story, but uh, (laughs) what he's serving at Angler, I'm sure, is, um, no. Legal, but I have gotten some things at Saison that some, Joshua shot, like some buckshot. Yeah, uh, buckshot. Yeah, the- I was warned, like there might be some buckshot in this. Mm, delicious game, Gary. I said, oh, okay. Um, was there? No, okay. no. Um, number six is a is one of the, is it got a lot of publicity when it first opened because it opened in early 2018, and that's Major Domo from David Chang. Uh, another LA restaurant. So the, the interesting thing about Major Domo, I mean, among many things, it was David Chang's first West Coast restaurant. Right. Um, the reviews weren't like outstanding, at least among the LA critics. What what makes well, it a top ten restaurant for you? Um, I think it's the most interesting. Except I've been to a lot of Chang restaurants actually, even this year, Noodle Bar for the first time, Sambar for the first time, Momofuku in Las Vegas. Uh, Kojin in Toronto. I went, went to Domo. So I've been to a lot of chain restaurants this year. And of the ones that I've eaten at, Domo is 
um, the most interesting. I find the food a little bit more creative. And I think the execution tends to be better. I, like I've the, I've experienced the, the ones I've eaten at this year, the execution is better at Domo than his other restaurants. And his large format dishes are always very interesting. And I when I in New York, I wasn't able to eat the larger format dishes or the ones or when I was in Vegas or Toronto, but because um, you were traveling alone. Yeah, but I, I went with some friends to Domo and we did some large format plates. So yeah, I I think Domo is well. Co Co oh, is right, Co. I, I also say. went to Co this year. I've gone to Co before. Momofuku Co is my favorite David Chang restaurant. It's a two Michelin star restaurant in New York City, and I think that is the best. Um, it's my favorite and the what I think is the best chain restaurant um, out there but Domo is much more approachable it's a cool location it's like deep Chinatown yeah it's like nothing's around there past the old Pok Pok yeah yeah Uh, five is Baval and um, that's from Ori and Genevieve um, who own Bestia and I didn't I don't I didn't love Bestia but I really love Baval Uh, Mediterranean type of Israeli cooking, um, great hummus, uh, great kebabs. And that's B-A-V-E-L? Uh-huh. Baval. And it's one of the many West Coast, Middle Eastern, Mediterranean restaurants that have yeah. popped up in the past couple years. Yeah, but Ori does a really, really good job. Would you say it's the best? I mean, w- the other contenders would probably be, I mean, Tusk here in Portland. Um, Kismet. Kismet in Los Angeles. There's another one. I, I forget how to pronounce it, but it's Mazi. Like, is it Mazi? It's like M M Z H Mz. It's how it looks Mazi to me. or something like that. I've not been to Mazi. I went to Kismet this year. I really enjoyed Kismet because I, I didn't know I didn't know if I'd like Kismet because Sarah and Sarah own Mad Capra, and I don't really love Mad Capra. I liked Mad Capra. You well, liked it? I, yeah, I went when they were in the. Uh, They're still there. And Central. They're still there. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, I like them. They're fun. Good I think food. Kismet, well, it's different. And I mean, she ran Mad- the glassery in uh, Brooklyn, Brooklyn before coming out. One of the Sarahs, Sarah Kramer. Kramer in Greenpoint. And then Sarah Hymanson, who's the other. So Sarah. is there a is are there hot Middle Eastern restaurants in San Francisco or Seattle? I'm trying to think. Not not. There's a isn't there a there's not, a Moroccan restaurant in San Francisco that I well went to. yeah the, uh, it's Murad Lalou's Murad place. yeah I I've been to Asha was at Murad during my recent trip to San Francisco a few weeks ago I did go to Murad again I've been three times. What do you think of it? Oh I, I love Murad I think it's probably deserving of two Michelin stars. Um, it's elevated, but he, he he does like he does a tasty menu, but he can also do a la carte, and he has large format uh, plates too. So it's kind of and it's a, it's a gorgeous, gorgeous restaurant. I don't know how much that build out cost, but it must have been millions and millions and millions of dollars. It's a beautiful, beautiful restaurant. We, I would we highly went recommend. Right it. after it opened, and just had some. I think it was just the couscous special. Yeah. Okay, so Bavel is number five. Uh huh. Forrest Avery from San Francisco. That's Rodney Wages' um, uh, restaurant. Again, tasting menu. Rodney was a CDC at Atelier Cran, which got its third Michelin star, <laughs> which I predicted previous <laughs> to them getting a third Michelin star. Number three is Atomix from Manhattan. And that's JP and Elia Parks owed to Michelin star elevated Cuisine. We talked about we it talked before. We talked about it before. That's right. Because I I had a chance to go to Atto Boy, which is their more casual midtown restaurant where you can get a three course meal for like forty bucks. I want to say it's 40, 50 bucks. It's yeah. very cheap. Yeah. Not that it's like not that you're 
crush with food, you're kind of expected to order one or two more things. But, you know, so if you're happen to be in New York and you want to try this, their food, but don't have the money to go to Atomix, Atoboy is a great other alternative. Yeah, Atomix is over $200 for a tasty menu. But it's well worth it. It's what Junsik, was what I was hoping Junsik in Manhattan would be like. Maybe it'll push Junsik to go a little further. hope so. But JP was the opening CDC at Jungsik, which when they got the third, second, when he got two Michelin stars. Number two is a restaurant I just went to last week, Cochina Hermanos Torres. It's twin brothers, Javier and Sergio Torres. And they opened this restaurant this year. And it's, the design is really cool. It's about eight, 9,000 square feet. And there are three, it's an open kitchen. And the kitchen is right in the middle of the restaurant with three large tables and there's like six or seven chefs at each ta- each each counter area. So there's like 18, 19 chefs working at any one time and service comes from there too, obviously. And then the, ta- and the tables surround the counters, the cooking area. And so it's like watching a performance and the food was, it's got that f- a Spanish modernist cuisine kind of style to it. But everything was approachable. Everything tasted delicious. And the Torres brothers were just really, really nice. Service was on point. Uh, I really, I didn't, expe- I didn't know what to expect. Because they, they got two Michelin stars this year, even though they've only been open like five, six, seven months. Um, they used to have a two Michelin star restaurant called Das Silios, which closed this year. Because I think they just wanted to focus on Cochina, Hermanos, Torres. My number one is from London. Ali Davu's Hyde. I, talk, I think I talked about this before. There's a hide above, which is an elevated cuisine. Hide below. Hide ground, which is the more casual cuisine. And hide below is where the bar area is. And then once again, they, I mean, the build-out must have been $30, $40 million on, that, on hide. But it's, it's absolutely mind-blowing when you walk in. It's, it's just one of the best-looking restaurants I've been in. Not just this year, any year. And I I did hide above, so I did the elevated tasting menu. And um, it's just spectacular. So hide hide London gets my number one vote. I did go back again for, I had some food at hide ground. Hide ground. Ollie came to Portland for a feast a few years ago, right? And he cooked with, um, it was James Knappett from um, Kitchen Table Bubble Dogs. That's right. And I went there this year, and yeah, uh, Napit got a second Michelin star for kitchen table at Bubble Dogs this but year. Bubble Dogs is it hot dogs and champagne, or have I just assumed that because of the name? No, you're you're correct. It's, it's um, <laughs> yes, it, it's the, that's the that's the first part. That's the casual part of it. Then you walk behind the curtain, and, and it's kitchen even table. fancier hot dogs oh, and much. champagne. <laughs> <laughs> but it was really good. It was it was a, I had a fantastic meal at kitchen table at Bubble Dogs. But yeah, Napit. It was Ollie, and it was um, Rucker. Do do you think a hot dog place could ever get a Michelin star? Well, if a ramen place gets a Michelin star, and if it's and if um, which three of them have, and um, if it, if a, if an Onigiri place gets a Michelin star, which it just did this year, and if a five dollar uh, chicken Singaporean chicken stall gets a Michelin star, then yeah, a hot dog place can get a star. I there was imagine. a hot dog place in Chicago that was known hot for dogs. The, hot dogs, that's right, and it closed. But they they might have been a contender, I guess. I don't know. I, yeah. I never went to hot dogs, but Doug, 
Yeah, it, I, I don't know why he closed because he would get. I mean, up until the, he was always busy. I don't know why. He was just one of those things. Well, that's very exciting. I will do very quickly um, for the Oregonian where I work. I wrote up my ten favorite dishes of 2018, which I do every year. Typically, I try to focus on new restaurants because, you know, a that's the places I visited the most in the year, and you know, b um, it gives my readers a chance to go out and check places out they might not have seen yet and see just because these tend to be new menus with new things on them that are exciting. So I picked out 10, 10 different dishes, but I'll just read three of them here in the interest of your time. Um, there's a new West African restaurant um, on Martin Luther King called Akadi, and they do a really amazing uh, poisson brasé, just a very simple grilled fish that's like the national dish of the Ivory Coast. And it comes with a little like fermented cassava. It was just like perfectly grilled fish. I'm always on the lookout for whole fish preparations. They do it fried and grilled. And this is one of my favorite whole fish dishes in Portland, bar none. Number two would be the steam burgers at Canard. I didn't know really know which dish to pick from here. Uh, this year I kind of went for home run dishes that I, you know, dishes I think will sort of stand the test of time. Obviously Canard is uh, Gabriel Rucker's restaurant that was tied for 10th with 37 other restaurants on Gary's top 10 list. Um, they have uh, probably their signature dish is the duck stack, which is this like duck fat fried pancakes that you can add foie gras to. It's totally over the top. I might go eat it tonight. They also do a really great modern update on oofs and mayonnaise, oofs and mayo, which they just add a little trout roe to. They throw on some smoked maple syrup. And like every time you go there, there's six new dishes that are really exciting and fun. Some are better than others, but they're having a great time. Um, but I ended up picking the Steam Burger, which is the sort of reason the restaurant exists. It's a um, uh, sort of a White Castle-inspired burger where they cook the meat over onions. They sort of steam the meat, essentially, and they blend the beef with uh, French onion soup mix. And there's a sort of like... there's a good amount of yellow mustard and sort of a chopped pickle relish on Hawaiian buns. It's a super simple burger. It's $3 at happy hour, which is the best time to go eat it. And it really like quickly elevated, you know, jumped up the ranks of Portland's best burgers really quickly. And is, isn't it true that he never and still hasn't had the white castle burger? That is the story. Yeah, I believe it. Um, uh, and he hadn't been to France before he opened right. the pigeon. So that that's his MO. And, I have had White Castle burgers, and I can confirm that his is a lot better. All right, two more really quickly. There was just like a great Dungeness Crab toast at this neighborhood uh, seafood restaurant called Jacqueline here in town. For my money, it's probably my favorite seafood restaurant in Portland these days. They're named for one of my favorite movies, the uh, Bill Murray, Wes Anderson movie, The Life Aquatic. And uh, they have a little framed photo of Bill Murray in a red uh, cap behind the bar. And this was just like so simple and easy and they, they're not reinventing the wheel, but it, they just really did a great job. It was like really nicely griddled toast, a whole ton of lump Dungeness crab, and then they poured on top some saffron hollandaise, some Calabrian chilies um, that I think were cured, and then just like some fennel fronds and pollen, you know, that just added a little color and pop. And man, it was so delicious. Like as soon as I had it, I, this was like back in March. I was like, yeah, that's going on my best new dishes list at the end of the year. Um, so that was 
awesome. And if I had to pick one more, I'm actually going to pick uh, something from an older restaurant, um, Rose Viel, which is the sister restaurant to Javiel. Uh, it's a Vietnamese soup restaurant that's been around for over a decade. They rolled out a new dish at the start of the year called Cao Lao. Cao Lao is a, the signature dish of a town in central Vietnam. It's very rarely seen outside of Vietnam. Um, you know, you can sort of scour Vietnamese restaurant menus in America. You, I haven't found it. I'm sure there's a few other places that do it, but I haven't seen them. It's essentially like a, it's not even a soup. Most of what Rose Vial does is soups. This is like these fat white noodles that come in a sort of porky sauce and they put on top really, really tender pork and a whole bunch of herbs, some fried shallots, and you toss the whole thing up and it's just unbelievably delicious. And they only serve it on Saturdays at Rose BL in Southeast Portland. And it's really, really good. So all these things that you mentioned, you can still get on them. You can still eat. If you want to go out tonight and eat at these restaurants, you can you can get all of these? All of these, yeah. Uh, I, I think of the top 10, almost all are still available in one form or the other. I did pick a dish from a pop-up on the Oregon coast, but you can that's from Olympia Oyster Bar. So, yes, if you want to go to the Oregonians website, OregonLive.com, you can find my whole top 10. Awesome. So you wanted also to talk about your five favorite meals of the year. Right. Um, let's start off with number five. And I've talked about most of these um, restaurants previously, so if you want to listen more thoroughly, you can you can go back to our podcast, like archives, and listen <laughs> listen to our, our our previous episodes. But um, sitting at number five is La Clarence from Paris. It's a two Michelin star restaurant. It's where the owners of Holtbriand, uh, the Bordeaux wine um, family, uh, opened. Uh, a restaurant in, in the 8th arrondissement in Paris, and they converted this house into a grand, opulent restaurant. And I was initially, I was overwhelmed and kind of um, a bit take. I mean, it was it's kind of overwhelming to go into something that place that fancy. And I eat at nice restaurants a lot, quite often, and kind of live in most fancy restaurants. But it, that place really kind of overwhelmed me. But the service is so personable and friendly and and the people were just so um, open that it, it made the experience even better so the Clarence is number is number five and should get a third Michelin star I hope soon number four is a meal that I recently had called it's called disfrutar in Barcelona is three chefs doing more modernist take on Spanish cuisine so there is this like um, this pasta dish where the pasta really wasn't pasta it was more it was made up of like uh, like I probably like agar agar or calcium citrate or some weird thing but it, you know it worked it was interesting the, the, the thing is you always hear that Albuli was considered the best restaurant for many many years and that's far in Adria I mean he, he he's a genius when it comes to the modernist um, modernist uh, techniques and they would say oh well Mar a lot of albuie's dishes were inedible but it, they were so creative you just kind of like <laughs> say yeah it's like oh well I mean, it's three years to eat here <laughs> it's, it's just the process of what food can and can't be and taste was for some of the dishes was secondary but i didn't encounter that at disfrutar and it was a totally enjoyable meal that the place is you know 
is gorgeous as many of those multi Michelin starred restaurants are. So this fruit tour is number three. What is Ferran Adria doing? Has he actually ever rolled out the follow up? The grand follow-up project that he's talked about for a long time. I don't think so. I don't know what he's doing now. I think it's a little bit like Guns N' Roses, like, you know. Next album. Their last album, yeah. It's out there, isn't it? Is it I think it is, yeah. Well, it'll come out eventually then. <laughs> Number two is the restaurant talk. Wait, are about. we on two or three? Oh, um, Distributor Leclerc. Oh, yeah, we're at three. Okay. It's a beast from Tokyo, Japan. Seafood restaurant. It actually is, right now, my favorite you have your favorite seafood restaurant in Portland, Oregon. <laughs> I have my favorite seafood restaurant in the world. And it's the Beast in Tokyo. How do you spell that? A-B-Y-S-S-E. Oh. And it's a reasonably priced um, uh, tasting menu. It's like $98 American. And it's like seven, eight courses. And every dish just kind of blew my mind. It has a Michelin star. But I'm thinking, after eating this meal, I'm thinking, holy mother of God, this place deserves three Michelin stars. And, and Tokyo's, Tokyo <laughs> Michelin stars. Holy mother of Neptune. Yep. Nice. Aquaman. Tokyo has come out with a Michelin guy since I went there, and they didn't get a sec- even a second Michelin star. Come on, Michelin Tokyo. I know. What's wrong with get you? Get your act together. Number two is uh, Raspis Kofi's Geranium in Copenhagen. It's um, it's in a, a soccer stadium, which is really kind of odd and cool. Uh, he he's the only man to ever have won the the bronze, silver, and gold for Bocuse Dior. And he did it in that order. <laughs> he, he just wouldn't quit until he got his gold. Uh, but it's 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 a totally fun, interesting Scandinavian restaurant. I didn't think I'd like because I don't I didn't think I'd really a Scandinavian. I don't really. I didn't think I really like Scandinavian cuisine. But when I went to Copenhagen, that was a surprising city. I really had a great time eating in Copenhagen, and geranium was the top of the top. And no, I didn't go to Noma. Do they call that hitting for the cycle when you get bronze, silver, and gold in Bukus? <laughs> yeah, he's the only one who's ever done it. Um, and number one, wait, wait, what do you oh, mean it's in a soccer stadium? It literally is. You, you, the the you can the, the the dining room does not over overlook the stadium as the, the the pitch. Oh, too bad. But it, it it looks outside. I mean, it looks away from the pitch. But if you walk, you get to everyone gets every diner gets to walk through the kitchen, and take a tour. The kitchen overlooks the stadium. <laughs> so they're you know cutting their vegetables and they can watch the soccer as the match is playing. It'd be like. You know, just imagine Providence Park. Where you yeah, look, the Mac Club. Be able here to in play. Yeah, Mac Club. Exactly. Um, I love Matt, it. Well, actually, I, Matt. Maybe he's a super fan and he just wanted to be able to never well, miss a game. No, someone gave him a lot of money to open in that soccer stadium. Oh my but gosh. It's, it's way, it's kind of kind of way out there. It's not like in central Copenhagen. You have to kind of walk a little bit further. I walked from my hotel, which took about an hour. Um, and it was, it's kind of a unique. And there was no good game going on when I was there. It was like lunch. Uh and the kitchen's open, so you got to see the chef's work. And service was impeccable. I loved my time at Geranium. But number one, it's also the number number seventh, be- sixth best restaurant in the world, according to the San Pellegrino list. And But it's number one on my list. And it's my favorite restaurant. It's the best meal I've ever had in my life. And that's Virgilio Martinez's Central. 
we've talked about it before. I did a longer tasting menu, and just it just with the ingredients, it just ingredients I'd never seen before or eaten before or experienced before. The whole meal was absolutely mind blowing, and I had the non-alcoholic pairings that I talked about just a little while ago, and that was mind blowing. Um, and since they moved to the new facility, I had ne- I had never been to the the older location, but that new facility is just just amazing. Um, so if you ever get a chance to go to Lima, Peru, you must go to Central. So that was my favorite meal of the year and my favorite meal that I've ever had in my life. Well, one more year-end thing. Uh, the trip of yours that I'm the most jealous of is Peru. So Really? <laughs> yeah. I mean, everywhere you went sounded great. And I've just been dreaming about going to Lima for a while, just to eat ceviche and hang out and oh you'd love it maybe climb machu picchu yeah you should, you should go it's reasonably yeah. pri- it's reasonably priced to you know to fly there and to stay there and to eat there yeah i've got some i got another baby coming in two weeks so <laughs> no, congratulations. Yeah, it's not easy yeah we'll see we'll see won't be won't be right away maybe sometime next year we'll see um you also wanted to hit your best meal under fifty dollars i i could do that too but I feel like most of the stuff I eat is under fifty dollars, so I'll let you. Do and most that. of the places I eat when I leave Portland are not under fifty dollars. <laughs> My favorite meal under fifty dollars is Barafina in London. It's a tapas restaurant, tapas pinchos place in London. It's, from what I understand, it's always packed. Like when I went, uh, first of all, no reservations. So you walk in. I went during lunch on a weekday. I think, oh, I don't know, it'll be there. And, you know, I had to wait 20 minutes to get a seat. Uh, it's relatively small, but the pinchos and tapas are first rate. And having just been to Barcelona and eaten pinchos and tapas, um, I have an idea of, you know, what what great pinchos and tapas are. And we have a great one here. We have a great place here that serves that type of food, and that's Atala. Atala ha- held up really, really well. Um, I think we're lucky to have Atala in Portland, Oregon. But back to Barafina. Um, it's, you know, you sit there, you sit down basically at the counter, order some beer, eat some pinches and tapas, you know, and it's casual. It's got a Michelin star, which is also kind of interesting that a place that casual, but we've talked about casual restaurants that have Michelin stars, but, um, yeah, go to Barafina, London. So we like to talk about new restaurants on this podcast and, you know, sometimes I'll pick one from outside of Portland and... Gary will pick one from anywhere in the world, but it, I think it just so happens that we have a pretty exciting opening here in Portland where we both live um, this season, this month, um, which is Bullard. Um, Bullard is the long-awaited restaurant from a chef named Doug Adams here in Portland, who is a Texas native. He spent time in uh, Montana and ended up moving to Portland and working for uh, Vitaly Paley, who's the Russian-born chef who runs now four or five local restaurants, depending on if you count the pizzeria, um, and uh, continues to open more and has trained some of the best chefs in Portland, including Gabriel Rucker. So Adams sort of was coming up through the ranks and then kind of saw his career take off into the stratosphere when he appeared on Top Chef and he did very well. He actually 
came back through what's called the second chance kitchen, I think. And, you know, he was knocked out early, but he came back and he ended up being in the top three along with Gregory Gourdet, another Portland chef and May Lin, um, who's just opened a restaurant in Los Angeles and eventually won that season of top chef. And way back in 2016, I broke the news that Doug was opening a restaurant in a downtown Portland boutique hotel called the Woodlark. The restaurant would be called Bullard. And it would be sort of like a personal exploration of his travels and life, which, you know, at the time it sounded a little hokey, but I actually really had my eyes open to Doug when he did this sort of brief spell at the Woodsman Tavern, um, which is was a restaurant run by Dwayne Sorensen, the founder of Stumptown Coffee that has since closed. Um, and, you know, he just really hits you right in the cerebral cortex with delicious flavors it's simple you know he just does like great fried chicken great smoked beef rib um and that sort of opened my eyes to doug and i got really excited about bullard but it was delayed and delayed and delayed so it finally opened at the end of 2018 um i wrote a little opening story i haven't been yet but i understand you have yeah, but i've gone twice i was there last night uh, initially i went with two other people and i went to gregory gorday has a peking duck dinner so I went there. Then I went to Bullard after that. And I went with two friends. And I just watched them basically eat. I only had like a couple of bites here and there. So that didn't really give me, give me an impression of the food. Obviously, I had a bite of the beef rib. I thought, holy crap, that's pretty good. And I had some um, of the carpaccio. And that was good. And I thought, oh, well, I'm going with some friends like a week later, which was last night. And there were six of us. And we ordered 12 things. And I'll be honest. I mean, first of all, it's only been open like 10 days now. The meal I had last night was better than any meal that I had while he was at Imperial. Um, the fact that he's... It's 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 so good Imperial so early. Imperial is the Vitaly Paley restaurant that he started at. Right. The fact that it's so good so early is so encouraging. Um, not... I mean, there's nothing that I disliked in my meal but those smoked beef ribs are so so good um the sweet potato love that the chicken the chicken dish is very very smoky if you like smoky chicken um you know get the chicken um the, he does a good job with the turnip dish uh, I, I i only had a bite of the dessert I, like a sheet cake a chocolate sheet cake that was um solid so far, I mean, I, oh, my favorite dish last night, the tamales. Ooh, I love the tamales. Not, it's not like, we had some great tamales in Houston, right, Michael? Mm-hmm. I don't know if they were like that good, but for Portland, they're pretty, pretty darn good. So really focus on the tamales and the beef rib. Also on the project, I should mention, um, Jen Quist is his partner, who also opened a cocktail bar in the back called Abigail Hall. They're doing kolaches in the lobby of the Woodlark Hotel. And his chef de cuisine is a guy named Ricky Bella, who's a local Portland guy. Um, good Instagram follow. And uh, he yeah. just bro- Ricky just broke his ankle uh, a couple about days that. ago. Uh, get well soon, man. Very excited to try that. Maybe we'll revisit and talk about Bullard in a later episode. So the last food-related thing we want to talk about is I just wanted to chat a little bit about our New Year's plans. Um, I the In the New York Times on uh, the last... Uh, Wednesday of 2018 they had a long uh, 
uh, feature on Bonnie Morales, who's the chef at a restaurant called Kachka here in Portland. And they sort of talked, they use her as an entryway to the Russian idea of New Year's Eve. And the interesting thing for me is I actually went to uh, Kachka for New Year's Eve in 2015. We sat in the back room at the old location and drank so much vodka that I couldn't feel my <laughs> nose anymore when we walked outside into the cold. And it's become kind of a tradition to do sort of a Russian-style New Year's for me. The past couple years, we've celebrated with my best friend who happens to date a Siberian woman, a woman from Siberia, from a town called Tomsk. And we will go to the Russian markets and get some, you know, Salat Olivier and other, like, sort of mayo-heavy salads and breads. And, you know, she'll often bring, you know, good vodka from Russia here to my house and will toast and it's a really great way to celebrate the new year's you 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 sort of graze and eat these zakuski these cold appetizers um throughout the night to help you not have a bad hangover i guess and uh in the piece it said that in a russian household like the hot food might not even arrive like your dinner the hot entrees might not even hit the table until midnight or 1 a.m oh my so you're kind of expected to stay up late and i as someone who's comes from scottish parents which also has a very, very rich New Year's tradition. Uh, it's been fun incorporating that into my life. Now, for me this year, I'm not really going to be doing anything because my wife is eight and a half months pregnant. So we'll be staying inside and probably going to bed at nine. But I was curious, are you going to do anything fun for New Year's Eve? I have jury duty. Oh, I've been able to defer because I was taking care of my father for so many years. But I don't, that's, I have no, I don't have that excuse anymore. So we'll see how that goes. I didn't. I didn't. I, don't, I have no idea what to expect. Plus, I'm leaving for Hong Kong, uh, like next week. So I, I don't. I mean, we'll see. I mean, I don't. I get. I was told that if I get called for a grand jury, that that's a month, a month long, in you know, time frame. I mean, Would you change your plans? No, I'm supposed to tell the judge. I'm supposed to tell the judge. You know, I'm going to Hong Kong, and the judge could say, "Sorry, dude, you're you're on the jury." I guess that's what. Um, my cousin, who's a prosecutor, told me. He said most judges will let me, you know, def- you know, get out of the longer time frame of a tr- long trial. See, I'm Gary the Foodie. <laughs> Check my Instagram, man. Yeah, you, don't you know who I am? <laughs> I would never do that. But I, I mean, I, it's, it'll be interesting to spend. I don't know. I mean, I'm assuming I'll be. It'll be over by five. Doesn't it have to be over by five? Doesn't. Yeah, it? I think yeah. so. I mean, I think <laughs> they're not going to keep you there till midnight on right. New Year's Eve. <laughs> I got to think. I mean, I'm not a big New Year's Eve sort of person because I think people call it amateur night. Yeah. That it's you know, it's, it's you know, people are drunk. You know, if you stay out late, it's hard to you get surged. If you want to take Uber home, you get surged. It'll be probably like four times what you would normally pay, five times what you normally pay. But luckily, here in Portland and probably a lot of other cities too, public transportation is free all night. Okay. So that's your little PSA from the Watkins Welcome podcast. Take uh, buses or trains. Okay. But still, if you have to take two or three trains to get home... Yeah, it could be tough. It could be tough. But in, don't trains and buses... It, they tend to stop. Do they, do they, they elongate? They run them all night, yeah. I think it, but I mean, it's obviously a more limited service, but they do go all night. Okay. So 
It's yeah. an option for you out there. If you open up your Uber app and it's like 5X pricing, you should look into a bus. Or why don't you just go out the night before or the night after? Or, or Saturday. Or, sure. or, yeah, just, I don't know. I don't know why New Year's Eve is such a big deal. I don't think we, people should go out for any holiday. Yeah. No one should fly back on Christmas Day, which I did. I spent 24 hours trying to fly back to Portland, Oregon. And it wasn't, I thought it'd be not less busy. It wasn't. It was even busier than I expected. Why? I don't know. Every single airport, all my, all my flights were totally booked. <laughs> Who are these people? Stay home. Stay with your family. What's wrong with you? So to wrap up the show, we like to have just a little brief sports discussion. And while you were flying, unbeknownst to you, Manchester City, which looked like they were going to, you know, steam steamroll the competition and walk away with the Premier League title again. They lost their last two games and three in the last four, and they are now seven points back in the table. I'm shocked. Behind both Liverpool and Tottenham. But what did I predict to you? Before the season started, we were talking about it. I said it's hard. It's just, I know Manchester United has doubled or even, you know, won multiple EPL titles in a row. But I just think it's a hard thing to do. It's a, you know, it's a long season, 38 games. I said, I didn't think Manchester City would win. I thought Liverpool would be their main challenger. They look good. Yeah. And now at this point, Liverpool play Arsenal. And if they win that and stay seven points clear, their next game is Man City. They have a chance to go 10 points up on essentially their biggest competition, uh, depending on how you feel about Tottenham. That's pretty exciting. Yeah, I think it could be over at that point. 10 yeah, points it might be. this far it's you know, this far into the season. We looked at goal differential right before we started the pod and they're actually tied with Liverpool. So, you know, if you see that as a predictor of future success, then Man City should be okay and they have been they've been dealing with some injuries um, throughout the season. They they lost Mendy and Fernandinho and earlier in the season they lost uh, De Bruyne, but he's back and playing well, so well, well, and there, there's also well, I I do think Manchester City maybe has lost it. I mean, this might be the key part of the season. I mean, this could be over for them. The Manchester United, which I thought would do, I mean, better than they when the season started. I thought Manchester United had maybe had a chance to challenge for the title, but they are just awful. And Mourinho, Jose Mourinho, Jose Mourinho lost his job. You know, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer has taken his his place as a caretaker manager, but. Man U has won the last two games, but they're just too far back. They're not going to qualify for Europe. They're just in shambles since Alex Ferguson left. Well, thanks, everyone, for listening. Uh, this has been another episode of the Walkins Welcome Pod. Thank you. Um, happy holidays. Happy New Year.